0: stop water first corinthians 1 6 12 through 20 the year is 397 AD all right so we're going to go way back for a moment and augustine writing in his confessions wrote these timeless words you have made us for yourself O lord and the heart of man is restless until it finds its rest in you you have made us for yourself, O oh Lord, and the heart of man is restless until it finds its rest in you. Our hearts tend to be restless, unquiet, discontent at times, roaming and ravenous. Uh, Actually, a lot like what the devil is pictured in Job chapter 1, roaming over the surface, looking for something, some ways to cause trouble. The demons that Jesus spoke of when, when he said that when the demon is set out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and doesn't find it. It's kind of like that. Our hearts are like that as well. Isaiah 57, the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Restlessness. Restlessness leads, you know where it leads. It ends up leading us into sin and doing dumb stuff. Sin is what we do. Now think about this for a moment. Sin is what we do when we're not at rest with God we try to find a rest in other pleasures and we become addicted to them food hobbies pleasures that maybe are lawful but then ensnare our souls and make us idolatrous we're going to lift up this pleasure and worship it because we are going to try to find peace And rest in that instead of God. And we find ourselves in these immoral pleasures. For example, sex and other things. We become enslaved to that. One of the reasons we chose to go through 1 Corinthians as a church. Is during this time that we live in. You can see the restless hearts of people all over. You can see it. And what happens then is our world becomes over-sexualized, over, uh, over this, that, and the other thing. And it becomes so tense that if you say one wrong little statement to someone, they blow up at you. It is a sign of the restless heart. You become enslaved to that. Sin, you may want to write this down. Sin is what we do when we haven't found rest in God. Think about it. Sin is what we do when we haven't found rest in God. But we are here to tell you the good news the good news of Jesus Christ. Someday, every Christian will be perfectly at rest with God. Someday, we're going to be in this glorious world surrounded by the glory of God. We're going to be in the new Jerusalem. We're going to be in the new heaven, the new earth. The glory of God will be freely revealed to us, and we'll be able to handle it. Moses couldn't handle it, if you know the story. He said, show me your glory. And God says, no one can see me alive, see me see me, and live. The Apostle Paul said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You see, right now we're not completely ready for the full display of God's glory. We couldn't handle it. But we will be ready when Christ returns or when he takes us home. And we're going to go into our Sabbath rest. A perfect rest in Christ. And it's one of those moments. You can just picture it because our society is so. The perfect rest in Christ where we all just go, This is amazing. This is amazing. And Satan doesn't want us to feel that rest now or ever. And he casts a net around our feet every moment of every day. And you may be feeling like, I need to pursue God's rest. I need to pursue God's rest. And that net around your feet is just like whack. And you fall in sin. Can you picture that? content person, though, a content person that has the Holy Spirit in their life, actually will have a foretaste of that heavenly joy and will find their rest in God even today. Now, I get it. It's not complete. We will never completely attain perfection until we're with Christ, right? We see that in Scripture. But a content person now, a content Christian now, is actually hard to tempt. If you find your peace in Christ, if you live for him, if you live in obedience to his word, if you are worshiping him, if you are praising him, if you are living for him, temptation will not be that bad. It'll be hard to tempt you like a flaming arrow is trying to land against an iron wall. And what happens to that flaming arrow? It just hits it and goes down because you're strong in the Lord. So, to be content in Christ is awesome. Amen? But we're not there yet. And Paul is acknowledging that. And in 1 Corinthians 6, he speaks of this warfare that we have to fight while we're in this present era. era sorry. While we're assaulted every day by the world of flesh and junk and the devil is fighting, fighting us. And you know what? We have to fight for holiness. We have to fight in order to be the witness to the people around us who are not yet set free, that are dead in their sins and in their transgressions. And so Paul is setting out before this church, and if you've been with this, you understand this church has got a lot of different problems going on, and Paul is saying, this is what's going on, and this is how you combat this. This is what you're doing, but this is what God says, and this is how you combat this. And he's finishing this thought that we've been looking at in the last week or two here, and he's saying, consider the Lord there was a great deal of junk going on in the city of Corinth. It was a permissive society that said, hey, whatever you want to do, go for it. Philosophy similar to what the world has today. And the idea here specifically was that, you know, hey, sex is a normal thing, so why not just do whatever you please within that realm And Paul Paul pointed out that God created sex when he made the first man and woman, and therefore God has a right to set the boundaries and the way that it should work. And the Bible really is then the owner's manual to our body. And God knows how he designed us. God knows how our minds work. God designed us for a very specific thing to give him glory in everything that we do. So he designed all of these things to give him glory. And God says, I don't want you to do these certain things, these sins that we looked at last week in verse 9, and, and then the sensuality and the idolatry that goes in it. And then in verse 10, Paul points his finger at the members of the church, the guilty sins of the spirit, and they're suing each other. We go further back. They, they got at, covenant uh, attitudes. They got all different types of things going, and God says, I want you to cleanse yourselves. Do you get that? Because here's the deal. When you accept Christ, you're new creatures in Christ. 1 Corinthians Verse 11, you're washed. We looked at this last week. You're washed. You're, you're, you're sanctified. You're justified. And the tenses, as we mentioned last week, the tenses of those verbs, are, they're completed. It's a completed transaction. Because you've said yes to following Jesus, you are washed. Because you said yes to following Jesus and yes in believing Him, you are sanctified. Because you said yes to, to believing in Jesus, you are justified. And thus the obligation on our side then is to use our bodies for his glory, his service. And Paul says, when we get into verse 12 here, he says something in this 12 through verse 20, and I think it's really interesting when you dig into it, and this is why I have these three points that you're going to see here after consider the lord the reason you're going to see these three points is a lot of people today will tell you not a lot but there's people out there that will say you know the bible doesn't say anything about the trinity the trinity is actually mentioned in this section so i want you to dig in with me and go oh it is This is here, and it's very interesting because what Paul is saying is he's saying, I want you to consider God, I want you to consider Jesus, and I want you to consider the Holy Spirit. Hmm, why would he say those three? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The three in one, the Trinity. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with them both. Yet the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but he will also raise up us up through his power. You catch what verse 13 says? And verse 14 say there, God. God created our bodies, and one day, as it says in verse 14 there, he will resurrect them in glory. Sign me up for that. We're going to actually see more about that in the coming few months in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But in view of the fact that our bodies have such a wonderful origin— because who created us? God. God created the, these amazing hands and feet and body and, and, and laughter and, and the, the joy that we get to see and the eyes that we have and the color of the world that he's created. All of that. God has created a wonderful thing called his sons and daughters, men and women. And he says, use this wonderful thing that I've created to glorify me. And and what was going on there is that the Corinthians were having these arguments against some of this stuff. And they wanted to defend the fact that they were messing around and doing junky stuff. And so they went down this road of, well, all things are lawful unto me. It was a popular phrase in Corinth based on a false view of Christian freedom. And we need to understand, I hear people say that all the time. Well, you know, hey, it's lawful, I can go do this. Woo-hoo! You have not been set free so that you can enter into a new kind of bondage. Right? Right? God didn't set you free so you could go and do something that enters you into a new kind of bondage. And, and you know, that argument there in, in verse 13, food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food. I actually like there's another version that says meats for the belly and the belly's for the meats. And what Paul's like, he's like, hey guys, you're using sex as an appetite to be satisfied and and not as a gift to be cherished and used carefully. Sensuality uh, and the abuse of the sexual relationship is, is like what gluttony is to eating. Both sinful, both have disastrous consequences. Just because God has created you With certain desires, and they're given by God at creation, does not mean that we give in to different things that cause to blow up the beautiful thing that God has given us. Paul's very clear here and further on that sex outside of marriage is destructive, while sex in marriage is beautiful. Sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. Yeah, he gets something, but he's, it's not his. And one day he's going to pay for it. Sex within marriage is like a person putting money into a bank. Safety, security, and the dividends of a beautiful relationship. Sex within marriage Builds a relationship with with joy in the future. Sex outside of marriage has a way of weakening relationships and blowing them apart. And so that's the context of food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food, but God will do away with them both, yet the body is not for sexual immorality. That's sex outside of marriage. And so he's first saying God is going to resurrect you He has made you clean. He has made you sanctified, as it said in the previous verses. He has justified you. So, don't go back into bondage. Live his way. And then, in verses 15 through 18, he goes, you know, consider God the Son. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? We've now moved from God has cleansed you, redeemed you through Christ. Now our bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral man sins against his own body. The key first thought here is that the believer's body is a member of Christ. And how can we be joined with Christ and be joined in sin at the same time? Right? That's, that's what he's getting at. And that should astound us in its implications. But some of the Corinthians saw no harm in visiting the temple prostitutes. Having fornication, sex outside of marriage. And the, the simple fact here is Jesus bought us with a price. And therefore, our bodies belong to Him. And it says very clearly, we are one spirit with the Lord. We yield our bodies to Him as living sacrifices, as it says in Romans 12. We we live as a living sacrifice. And if you begin every day by surrendering your mind, your soul, your body as a living sacrifice... To Christ, it makes a big difference. It will make a big difference in what you'll do the rest of the day. And Paul, you know, he refers to the creation account to explain the seriousness of this sin. When a man and woman join their bodies, the entire personality is involved. There is a much deeper experience of oneness that brings with it deep and lasting, incredible, great consequences. And Paul warns that sexual sin is really the most serious sin a person can commit against his body because it involves the whole person. Sex is is not just a part of the body. Being male and female involves the total person that God created. How did God create us? God created us male and female. He wired us in certain ways. He created us that way. And this experience then affects the total personality. And Paul isn't just suggesting that, hey, you know, there's this temple with prostitutes over there. And that's the equivalent of marriage if you go over there. No, he's not saying that, but he's saying this is what is where you're, you know, it's all messed up. Because marriage also involves a commitment. And the the beautiful thing in all of this is if you wrap your way around it, let's say you're in the room here and and you you haven't found the the person yet that, that you are going to marry. You haven't found the one, the one, the one, as the echoes go. But when you do find the one, the one, the one, you can go, you know what, I saved all of that for marriage. And I can experience that in a whole different way with a commitment and the oneness. And when two people pledge their love and faithfulness to each other, they they lay a strong foundation on which to build There's a few people in here that have been married for a few years. And I encourage people that have not been married as long to go talk to them about how long they've been married and what it's like because I guarantee you they're not going to moan and complain about it. They're going to tell you some wonderful stories. See, let's wrap our way around of why we want to be over here and why it's so important not to bow our knee to a culture that's overly junkified on everything and cheapens it, right? That's what the culture does. Marriage protects. You've probably heard that in a few marriage ceremonies. Marriage enables the couple that's committed to each other to grow in a wonderful experience in Christ. So consider your body, your life in Christ. And then he goes on to say, consider God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, you see it right there. For all of you that are wondering, God, Jesus, Jesus, Holy Spirit, verse 19. Isn't it interesting how he goes through like this? Or do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This is the progression. God the Father created our bodies. God the Son redeemed them. God the Spirit indwells them. Right? Makes them the very temple of God. And Paul is simply saying, how in the world then can we defile God's temple by using our bodies for immorality? Yucky, yucky, yucky. It's also interesting here in verses 19 and 20 that there's some language things going on that I want you to understand. It does say there, or do you not know that your body and that your is plural? The words body and sanctuary are singular. It may be because Paul is also describing here Not also the individual believer, but also the local church. Each local assembly is a body. People united to Jesus Christ. And here's where it gets really personal for every single one of us in the room here. The conduct of individual members of the body affects the spiritual life of the entire church. It does. Doesn't it? I remember being a junior hire. Uh, this is this one's a tough for me because this is the first time I kind of experienced this stuff in a church. I remember being a junior hire walking into my church with my parents and there was murmuring and all types of stuff going on. And there was, a, and even as a junior high kid, I could sit there and I go, Something dark is here. This is not, something is not right. And this poor elder has to get up there and say, Hey, our pastor is not here this morning because he called and informed me that he's leaving. His family to go live with another man. This was many, many years ago. And we were like, the conduct of an individual member affects the spiritual life of the entire church. It was awful. You had all of these parents having to explain stuff you had all of it, it was bad it was bad the conduct of the individual members affects the spiritual life of the entire church and the lesson is clear here glorify god in your body The Holy Spirit was given for the purpose of glorifying Jesus Christ. John 16, 14. The Spirit will use our bodies to glorify Him and to magnify Him. Look it up. It's there. It's Philippians 1, 20 and 21. Our special relationship to the Holy Spirit brings with it a special responsibility. God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, are all involved in what we do in our bodies. And if we break God's laws, there are penalties to pay because it does cause damage. And as you read this section, you will see that, once again, the sexual, sexual sins affect the entire personality, emotions, uh, physically, um, the the whole thing the, the awful harvest of sowing to these things is yeah sometimes delayed but it's certain and it's you know what I, i'm just be just flat out throw this out here because you see it in so many people's lives and you guys know this it's sad to see people have to live with the consequences of forgiven sin because plenty of people have been forgiven because they've accepted Christ, but they still have to live with the consequences of what's happened in the past, right? But according to this, there's also eternal consequences for people who practice these sins. Once again, Paul twice states that people who practice these sins do not inherit God's kingdom. That word practice the There means over and over again, not changing, not repenting, just saying, all is permissible. See, a Christian may fall into these sins and be forgiven, as was David, but no Christian would practice over and over again these sins. And in all fairness, we must note that there are other sins than just this one. There are sins of the spirit as well as the flesh, as I mentioned, you know, uh, coveting other people's stuff. Lying, anger, deceitfulness. And those will send a person to hell just as easily as sexual sin. And we must remember, and here's the thing, everyone. We must remember, we must, must, must remember the grace of God changes the sinner's life. We must go back to verse 11, and such were some of you. And it's important that we live like those who are part of a new creation then. We're not our own. I think it's so important when when people interact with any one of us so hopefully everyone's looking at me eyeball to eyeball right now when anyone is looking at us not just in here but anywhere they see Christ they see God the Father they see someone redeemed by Christ. They see God the Son. They see the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. They see the gifts of the Spirit coming out of us, right? We, we, we need to live like we're part of God's new creation because I will tell you right now, if we live like we're a part of God's creation and we go outside of these four walls and live like that you are different in a good way and there's going to be two reactions there's going to be very few people these days that are indifferent indifference doesn't really exist anymore have you noticed that yes there will be people that will say yuck i don't want to be anything like that you're just crazy their their heart is hard right there's going to be people like that. But I will tell you right now, there are a boatload of people that are wandering around in darkness that need to see light. And they will run to it. And God will use you to draw them to him. And that's why 1 Peter 1, 16 says, is where I'm going to land this this morning. Be holy, for I am holy. Be holy, for I am holy. You see, I pray every week that God will bring people here to hear the gospel that God will bring people here to West Hills Church to hear the gospel. And if you are not a Christian yet, if you're here because you're like, yeah, the world's dark and I'm looking. And if you weren't a Christian when you walked in here, let me share very clearly, only Jesus can set you free from sin. You cannot set yourself free there are not enough different 12-step programs in this world for all of the sins you're doing. And those 12-step resolutions only make a temporary change in something going on, whatever that is. It just masks the real underlying problem. Sin is comprehensive. And Jesus came to remove it. Our Savior died on the cross for sin universal and all of the individual sins that we commit. And so trust in Christ. Come to Christ and he will set you free. He will forgive you. He will make you his own. The God that created you will redeem you through Christ and then indwell you with his Holy Spirit. Are, are you enslaved today to sin? Are there things that own you other than Christ? Are there habits that you? that you do that are, as scripture says here, immoral, either sexually or in spirit. And frankly, you seem to be doing them more and more, but you enjoy them less and less. Just look at that and say, and be honest, I'm enslaved to sin. And the answer this week is the same as last week for you accept Christ as Savior and be new in Him. And then for the rest of us, the answer this week is the same as last week. Put put sin to death by the power of the Spirit. You know how you do that? You know how you put sin to death? By starvation. You don't do it. You don't do it. The longer it's been since you've yielded yourself to a lust, guess what? The weaker that lust gets. Put it to death by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this time together today. I thank you for your word. May we consider what it means to be whole in you may we consider that we have been set free and that you have not set us free to enter into a new kind of bondage you have set us free to have fellowship with you to be indwelled in the spirit to glorify you to be at